Replacement theology does not say the Jews are not the real Jews. They're saying even if they are the Jews, God has done away with the covenant that God made with the Jews. They lost the promises that were originally given to them because they rejected Jesus. And now the church is the new Israel. The, the covenant that God made with the Jewish people is over and the church is the new Israel. There's one covenant and they of course appeal to Romans 10 and 11. And, um, of course, the Galatians 3, where the body of Christ is neither Jew nor Gentile. So that's what they appeal to. But they're not saying the Jews aren't the descendants of the Jews. They're simply saying they are, but they don't have the covenant any longer. Now that's, okay, so that's replacement theology. Yes. So that the, uh, okay, so the Christians have replaced Yeah, the church uh, the is the new Israel. Right. The and Jews, the church is the new Israel, the right. spiritual Israel, if you like. And and whatever that means, this is is this not the root of of the of the envy and and anti-Semitism um, that that Jews have been subject to over the centuries from the church? Because how can you be the new something if the original something still exists? Is there not still and not only that, but they're still they're still uh, they're still going to synagogue, they're still observing the Torah, they're still praying to God. How can this be when we're the new thing? As and with things like this, it's a little bit complicated. So there was the Bishop of Hippo, um, his name was uh, Augustine. Um, so he had a very interesting theory in his city of God. He had a very interesting idea that God was still preserving the Jewish people. And that the, the fact that Jews are alive, he, he therefore said that Christians should not massacre Jews because in fact the existence, the Jews should live in a subjugated low state without Jerusalem, uh, be, but because they're keeping the law and hold fast to the Torah in their own way, they're a testimony to Jesus and the people whom he came forward, and they're called the witness people who will at the end of days admit that surely Jesus died for our iniquity and the fulfillment of Zechariah 12.10. This is what he pointed to, that they will look upon me whom they have pierced and mourned for him. Well, how is it going to be? Now that, I write about this in, if you look in the oral law chapter, I, I, I move into this in what happens in the discovery of the Talmud. This is all going to change in the 10th and 11th century, but the attitude of the church was that Jews should not be... Um, massacred as in a genocide. Now, there were in the 4th century uh, synagogues that were being burnt down. There were Jews who were killed, but the church wasn't interested in killing them, but rather oppressing them and keeping them under a control. Now, this is very critical because what most people miss is that the the, the anti-Nicene church fathers, that's a fancy term for meaning the church fathers who precede 325 were all virulent anti-Semites. Every one of them, from Origen to, to Justin, they, Iranus, mm -hmm. Ignatius, right down the line, virulent anti-Semites. Tertullian wrote books against the Jews, and so did Origen. And these were bright people. I mean, the names of the books was against the Jews. The mm -hmm. point, what most people don't realize is when they wrote these books, it didn't pose a danger to the Jews. Why? It was all rhetorical. Christianity wasn't a recognized religion, and sometimes it was persecuted, and therefore they could write the Jews or whatever they want, but the Jews were, were safe. Uh, because the Judaism was a recognized religion in the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Christianity was not. Uh, there were persecution of Christian Diocletian, the, the emperor immediately preceding Constantine and so on, but they're, they're isolated, whatever it is. But it was all 
historical. However, the moment that the church now becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire as a consequence mm -hmm. of Constantine's conversion and mm -hmm. the Council of Nicaea, now when the anti-Semitism emerges from the church, it is no longer rhetorical. It now can be implemented and carried out by the Roman Empire, and therefore the 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 post-Nicene church fathers, the effect would be would be great. Augustine, in a sense, was saying this. See, the thinking in the church from Augustine, let's say Augustine's the end of the fourth century. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, he he was bishop. Let's say three ninety three was the that the uh, that gathering until the tenth century. The way Christians thought about the Jews is that the Jews did not believe in Jesus because they did not understand their own Bible. And mm -hmm. if we can br bring them to an understanding of the scripture that they say points to Jesus, then surely they would convert. All this is going to collapse with a, a very important individual who we have scant information about. His name is Nicholas Donnan, a Jew who lived in the Paris ghetto. Uh, he ultimately becomes a Karite, and then he's excommunicated from the Paris ghetto, he comes back with a vengeance. He somehow gains a an audience with Pope Gregory the Ninth. We don't know how he managed that, and there he sets forth something that will change the the game forever. And he says, "No, the Talmud contains in it some of the most odious." Uh, blasphemy against Jesus and his blessed mother Mary, and therefore it is the Talmud that is the impediment to the conversion of the Jews. And in fact, it's not now that the Jew, what was thought until that point was Jews simply didn't get it. No, it's worse. Jews are demonic, and it's the Talmud that makes them as such, and therefore the Talmud has to be destroyed. But of course, when Christians started ex ex listening to the claim of Nicholas Donnan, these these were such. This is there's one thing to argue about who is Isaiah fifty three talking about. It's another thing to say that the Talmud says that Mary was a prostitute. And, and Jesus was his offspring and, you know, all these horrible, mm. horrible things. So now, it, now the idea that is expressed in the Christian literature that the Jews are the seed of the devil now has, takes on a very important meaning. It's very tangible, of course, in 1242 after a show trial, um, all, every Talmud in France is going to be burnt. This is, theme is going to, is going to forever change the church's attitude towards the Jews, that the Jews know the truth and reject Jesus anyway, and therefore they truly are a demonic people. And that's why, you know, he talked about, the Hamas guy talked about that the Jews use the blood of Christian mm -hmm. boys for matzah. But mm -hmm. one of the other things that people don't get this, Christians claim that Jews would go into the churches, steal the host, and there are actually pictures of this in art, and, and mm -hmm. where they take the host, the crackers, and they stab it. They bring these crackers into some basement, and they'd gather around, and they would stab the host, meaning stab the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, this is very famous, and therefore they were charged with this, and Jews paid a very high price for it. But you have to stop and ask yourself a question. What does this mean? What is the implication of this charge? The implication here is mind-blowing. You see, if you don't believe in Jesus, you certainly don't believe in the Eucharist. Mm 
you don't believe that that cracker is anything more mm. than a cracker. Of course. So, right. So why would you bother stabbing a cracker if you think the cracker is nothing more than a cracker? Mm. You, you get the point? This means, what does this say? That the Jews are the instruments of Satan. Satan, the church believes, knows the truth. Any Christian you'll ask, does Satan know the truth about, uh, uh, does Satan believe that Jesus is God's son? The answer, of course he does, but he's in rebellion against God. But he knows the truth. Satan knows the truth, but he rejects God anyway. That's demonic. It's not that Satan is ignorant. In fact, Christian theology states that Satan was the highest of all the angels and he fell mm-hmm. because of his own arrogance and and therefore is the chief blasphemer against God. The fact that the Jews are the devil and therefore people, Christians, who otherwise would be completely moral, despise the Jews now and are, are going to start slaughtering them in mass numbers is that the Jews, it's not an issue that the Jews simply are not convinced by the Christian argument. That wouldn't get them angry enough. What now they're saying is the Jews deep down believe in Jesus, but reject him anyway and stab the host because they're crucifying Jesus again, which means it's not just the Jews of of the first century that killed our Lord Jesus Christ. No, these Jews are repeating that action again and again because the Catholic Church believed that the host is not just symbolic of the body of Christ, but because it is blessed, it is, and, and because of the theology of transubstantiation, that is literally the actual body, real body of Christ. So Jews are still crucifying Jesus. This, this is this is this, this is, is the claim, right? This is all medieval, and this is the claim that you're saying that uh, Nicholas. Uh, this is oh well, this is going to begin with Nicholas Don, and they're going to be others. Now he was. A, you, did you say he was a Jewish convert? Yeah. Oh yeah. He became a. a he, he, he so a, he he carried weights with his word as far as they were concerned. Here is a Jewish oh, convert, yeah. and he's letting us in on his secret, and he's telling us about the Talmud. Now, is this prior to uh, the disputation with uh, Pablo Cristiani? Yes, it's very close. It's 20 years earlier. This t- takes place in 1242. He gains audience with, with Pope Gregory the IX in, in, in 1239. They had a very effective um, friend. That means a guy who was crazy enough to buy into this, and that was the the uh, holy uh, Rem- uh, Roman emperor of of France, and that's Saint Louis the Ninth. Saint Louis the Ninth was, according to all accounts, a a very crazy, just a deeply religious man. He was a, a he used to actually beat himself, flog himself to feel the pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy was, you know, Christian. This guy was not an Episcopalian. Okay, right. so so this so <laughs> they took it to to Louis the Ninth, who is the you know he is the leader of France. Louis the Ninth buys this wholesale, and there we start from the Middle Ages. We start a whole new approach of the church. When I say whole new, which means it's going to take on a basically Augustine's idea is rejected. Meaning Augustine saying, don't harm the Jews, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. a witness people. The Jews' rejection of Jesus is essentially the result of their not understanding their own Bible. We have to convert them, we have to keep it alive, don't kill them. And now Augustine's understanding is rejected, and instead what is embraced now is a new idea. And that is the Talmud certainly has to be destroyed, because the Talmud is the source of of, of the blasphemy against Jesus and uh, uh, Nicholas Donnan 
as I said, became a Karite. Karites then were very, very popular. He has access to the Talmud because he first starts out within the normative Jewish community. As I said, information about Donin is limited. It's scant. But we know that he was in the Paris ghetto. The chief rabbi of the Paris ghetto was a man named Yechil of Paris, uh, who's one of the authors of the Tosvos. He becomes a Karite. He gets into fights, whatever it is. He's expelled from the Paris ghetto. He comes back. He becomes a Dominican, and he's going to come back with a vengeance. Now, that's how Nicholas Donnan was able to make these charges against the Talmud. In that, like, why didn't the Christians attack the Talmud earlier? Why? The answer is the Talmud was inaccessible to the church. It's mm-hmm. not just the Talmud is written in Aramaic. I don't know if you ever try to read a, a passages in the Talmud in a word for mm-hmm. word. It's impossible to read. The reason why the Talmud is so difficult to master, so difficult to understand is it's written in a way where it's so truncated that there are major th- thoughts that are just left out. Why? Because th- the rabbis of the Mishnah and Talmud were on such a high level that what was so obvious to them, to us, is not. Mm-hmm. It would be like you or I, let's just presume we have no background in medicine. So we would go and sit in on a, on a class in surgery, you know, advanced. We'd sit there. We wouldn't know what was flying. There's, there's, so, much, there's so much assumed knowledge. That's so knowledge, that, that's right. so, so much of it goes over right. our head. And we've experienced this so many times. And truth to you, of course, because we have the, uh, of course, the, uh, um, the Tanakh in, in English, that it makes perfect sense that we should have a fluent Hebrew speaker to explain what goes right over our heads in the English. So, interesting, the Talmud is so difficult to understand that you'll find this hard to believe, but there's no, I'm not exaggerating, actually being able to read a pass a page of the Talmud and understand what it means. That's called making a laning. Making a laning means just taking a page. This is actually one of the things they test you on when you become when you're becoming ordained, if you can do this. To be able to read a passage in the Talmud and just understand its plain meaning is considered very advanced. That's a master level. Just understand what it means. Forget about the depths of it and the thousands of commentaries, but simply taking a page of the Talmud that you haven't studied and figuring out what the Talmud is saying, because there are no periods, no dots, no sentences, on and on. To be able to just read it and understand it, that's usually people are... Only the best students at the very end of high school, after studying the Talmud since they're seven or eight years old, only then the finest students can actually do that. That's considered a very so, high level. So therefore, so the when, church has no access to the Talmud. That's it has no key. access. So when when uh, when Nicholas ah, Donnan he stood was, up and said, "I am the one with the knowledge," I'm exactly. th- th- what what did they have to check against? Ah, so there. Oh, so Nicholas Donnan is bringing forth all this information and is saying, "I was once a Pharisee. I was once." follower of the Talmud, which he was, I became a Karite. Now, what's interesting about the Karites, Karites today, it's, it's very nominal. I don't really know how many Karites there are, maybe 10,000, 20,000, but it's, it's not a... Uh, but then they were, they were very, very powerful, and the, the invectives between Karites and Jews who believed in the written and oral Torah, Purushim, Pharisees, was biting. I mean, they went to war, not physical, but there was, it was, today no one bothers with Karaites. That means no one 
in the traditional Jewish world is bothering putting you don't, a, you don't see you don't see I know you know what I, I would love over. to see the I would love to see the debates between the, the, the it, it's, and it's the, over that means it's it, over. Yeah, it doesn't happen you don't see that you see no the debates between the Christian and the Jew it, it's because between, it's over but that back then what you're saying is I think oh, this is what's, is this a, what's referred to as yeah. the golden era of, now, of the, of the now, now so people, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of Karites oh or? yeah sure of course this is a major ninth tenth century this is a major force that was contended with Sajid Gold mm-hmm. writing enormous treaties on this, but this is a major issue. Today, we just feel sorry. It's like very much like the ref- I mean, if someone's a carrot list, I don't mean to infect, but if you go back, let's say, to the 19th century and the to the and to say to the 1970s, there were major wars between the Orthodox and Reform movement. They would write the most damning things about each other. Today you don't see that. I'm an Orthodox rabbi. I lecture more Reform congregation than do an Orthodox. They Reform sure. rabbi. They, what? Because it's over. The fight is mm-hmm. over. That means today we realize that we're just picking up the pieces of a movement that has abandoned fundamental principles of our faith. In the same way, no one in the Orthodox world is going, "Oh, the Karaites pose a threat." It's like, "All right, we're going to make the you know help them out, reach out to them." But it's in Yiddish is the word "nebuch." There's no, no one's fighting. And in fact, the Karaites too are, they're not as militant as they used to be because they're not a real issue. Now this, what happens is, is the church has no access to the Talmud because I mentioned the Talmud is inaccessible to them. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it will require people, specifically Karaites, to come forward. It will require people, Jews who convert to Christianity, who were raised in the Pharisaic Judaism, to come forward and say, we know what's in there, let me show you, and the church is horrified. Now, there are going to be many of these individuals. Um, Pablo Christiani in, is in 1263 is going to take an exact opposite approach, and I write about this in my in my book. This is in this is in volume one. Just to let everybody if know, I, this is volume one. Yeah, let's, uh, let's get biblical. Why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah? And this is on page two hundred eighty eight oh, in okay. great detail. So you know the page number. I don't. I don't have. But what happens is Pablo Christianity, very similar kind of background. He becomes a he becomes a Dominican, and he goes the opposite direction of Nicholas Donnan. He says instead, no, the Talmud is nothing to be burnt and destroyed, and that's the impediment to believing Jesus. The opposite. I could prove to you Jesus is the Messiah from the words of the rabbis, from the Talmud. So this is an entirely new approach that is revolutionary. No one before Pablo Christiani has ever done this, and of course he has a debate in 1263 with Nachmanides. Nachmanides was the absolute undisputed giant, and there were a lot of people to compete with. Nachmanides was just this, just he was like a Maimonides figure. He's a little bit later than Maimonides. Nachmanides actually mm. wins the debate in front of uh, James uh, the first of Aragon, and Nachmanides is awarded uh, silver gold. He has to leave Spain. He moves to Israel, and that's where he spends his final his final years. Now, what's very interesting is that this. These two approaches to the Talmud remain in effect today in the Messianic movement. These two completely contradictory approaches of Nicholas Donnan and Pablo Christiani, two Jews who convert to Christianity, remain ensconced 
exactly in the church's effort to convert Jews. Because what do we find in the, we'll use the Messianic movement or the Jews for you. What do they do? On the one hand, they attack the Jews for being rabbinic Jews and believing in the stupid oral law that was invented by men, not by God. We've heard this all the time. I'm not telling you anything new. They, they, there is the, the, the Messianic movement. In fact, this is not hyperbole. You will find that in Baptist churches and Assemblies of God churches, far more respect given to Jewish rabbinic literature than you would find in a Messianic congregation. In a Jews for Jesus congregation, they will lambast rabbinic Jews and cast it as the most as something that's completely opposing, even though what I do in my book is I show that you can't understand the New Testament without the Talmud, which is going to sound strange, but I'll maybe just get the book and it's there. But the key is, so on the one hand, the Messianic movement and all this whole movement to convert the Jews appointed the Talmud as odious and ungodly, and we believe in the Bible alone. We're the true believers. We believe in the Bible. On the other hand, they have the Pablo Christiani footprint is there as well. Because whenever given the chance, whenever they cannot find a passage in the Jewish scriptures to support their claims, they will then appeal to that very same Talmud that they say is worthless and odious in order to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah from the oral Torah, from the Talmud. So what we have, this is not studying history. This these two approaches that were only two decades apart, 1242, mm-hmm. 1263, in the case of Nicholas Donnan, um, the Talmuds were burnt because of um, uh, St. Louis the Ninth, St. Louis the Ninth, and by the city of St. Louis is named after him, uh, because Louis the Ninth was a, a, a psycho, and the, the defenders of the Talmud had no free speech. The only law to defend the Talmud, they weren't allowed to say anything that would be regarded as offensive to Christianity. Nachmanides, uh, uh, James of Aragon, meaning basically the king of Spain, he was a Catholic, as everyone was, but he was a nominal Catholic. He wasn't, it's actually a great mm-hmm. film you can get on Amazon called The Disputation. And I was going to say, can you can you still get it from your website? You yeah, used to have it available. Get it on my website, you can get it on Amazon, wherever you want. I'm not trying to plug. But no, 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 so it's, it's outreachjudaism.org, outreachjudaism.org. It's the, uh, the Disputation, it stars Christopher Lee and, and a bunch of other, but it's, it's, look at this, it's a bit, it's, a, it's an older B-grade film, but it's definitely worth getting and watching. It's, uh, it's B-grade in terms of, the, they didn't spend a lot of money on it's on not high set, budget that's what i mean it's, it's, the actors are all top of fabulous actors I it's mean, good every, oh my gosh it's brilliant and this was a, sh- a film that was shot in it england nails it oh nails my the message i Absolutely have watched nails it 40 times and every mm-hmm. single time i see something more insightful james the first was a person who was Catholic, everyone, his wife was very religious. His wife was a, mm-hmm. in Yiddish, say, a Fabrenta, burning Catholic. But he was, you know, he had a mistress. He wasn't so real. So he really wanted to see a cockfight. He wanted to see a bullfight. He wanted to, he wanted to, he wanted to, Tim, it was a sporting event. And as it turned out, he said, as he says very famously, he said at the end of the debate, he says, I, I've never heard a, I'm not saying this exactly right. He said it better than me. He said, "I have never said, I've never witnessed a a wrong uh, position argued so well." Something along that. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, him and Nachmanides bond together. Nachmanides blesses him. He feels terrible about what happens because Nachmanides was assured freedom of speech, and Nachmanides 
did have to leave Spain. He goes to Israel. He'll settle there, build a synagogue there, and he's mm-hmm. now buried. Out. So what we have, this is what's very intri- intriguing, is we have the two approaches. They're contradictory completely. One says the Talmud is the problem, and it's odious, and don't study it, and it's an, imp- an impediment to believing in Jesus. And the other says, no, the Talmud proves that Jesus is the Messiah, and I can prove it from the Talmud. And, and we see this going on in the Messianic movement today. And you know, John. Am I exaggerating? No. No, not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. No. no. It's, it's, the, the, you're absolutely right. Ex- and, 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 and this is fascinating because it, to, in, in the Messianic uh, movement, if there is anti-Semitism, it's uh, restricted to uh, not all Jews, but those who obey and observe the oral law. This is where the anti-Semitism is restricted oh, yeah. to. And, this, and, and, it's, and it's very, very obvious. So what you're saying is, if I understand you correctly, these two events, these two men of medieval era are the catalysts. They are the ones. They are the ones that set in stage two frameworks, which appear contradictory, and they are, yet they run concurrently today as, as clear. And by the way, you said something now that I think many Christians are going to object to, and I want to... I want to preempt what I think people will say to you, John. They'll say, Messianic movement, anti-Semitic, we love Israel, pro-Israel, we, we, uh, they are the Jews for Jesus, chosen people ministries, all these so-called Messianic groups, they are all nourishing and inflaming anti-Semitism in Christian churches. People are going, what? Let me explain to you exactly what they do, and I'm sure you know about this, John. They go into uh, churches that are, are, are pro-Israel churches because they're pre-millennial dispensation, that Israel belongs to Jews. And you know what they do there when they get up, these messianics? They get up, we're trying to, we are, they're trying to raise money for evangelism in Israel. They say, we're being persecuted for Christ, for Yeshua, all over Israel. We're suffering, they're persecuting us. And these guys, nice Christians, are in their pews in some Southern Baptist Church, in some Assemblies of God Church, who really like Jews because there is a lot of philo-Semitism among evangelicals. They're going, really? Jews are still persecuting of Christ. So what they're doing is they are they are taking what otherwise would be really nice Christians and telling them, no, we're being persecuted for for bringing the message of Christ in Israel and so on and so forth. And and it, it has a, a a terrible effect on the on on how these evangelicals look at Israel. One last mm-hmm. point should be made. It's one I would be remiss if I didn't mention one of the possibly the craziest, strangest stories in all of this, and I have to mention this. There was one guy, his name was Pfefferkorn. This is a guy who was arrested, he's from southern France, he was arrested uh-huh. in 1505, I believe it was, for burglary. So he's thrown in prison, and he's later released, and he decides he's going to convert to Christianity, he becomes Dominican as well. And he he goes even further than Donnan does. He not only is saying the stuff that Donnan said, he's going, the Jews use the blood of Christian. The Jews are encouraging the Talmud to kill Christians, throw Jews out of your communities. They want to kill you. They want to destroy you. The, he is He is almost too anti-Semitic for the church, which is quite a standard, quite a threshold to pass. So he's making unimaginable, even by Dunn standards, unimaginable charges. And the Jews are going, we've had enough. And and what happens is, at the time, in the early 16th century, possibly the greatest Greek 
and Hebraic scholar in the world, certainly in Germany, was a man named Johannes Ruchlin. Johannes Ruchlin is very famous because he will supply Erasmus uh, with many manuscripts of the Christian of the New Testament, which there were very few of them. He'll supply them with Erasmus. So he's a very important person. He happened to be a first class he was so he was such a brilliant Hebraist, he knew Hebrew so well, they actually wrote commentaries on the Radak and other rabbinic writings, which is mind blowing. Now there were very few people like this. I, I know this because I've spoken to guys who have master's degree in Hebrew, and I say, "You mean you can open up a, a, a Chumash a Torah and actually read? Well, I need a dictionary." This guy was absolutely fluent. He was like Pusey and Delich. He, there were not many of these. He was he was absolutely an expert in Hebrew, rabbinic Hebrew. He could read it, and he wrote commentaries on it. He was brilliant. He was also a fabulous Greek scholar. He was like the giant of his day in Christian, in, in, as a Christian scholar. Absolutely brilliant. So the church, who, the, the Jews are coming and saying, what this guy, Pfefferkorn, is claiming is preposterous. We want someone to investigate these charges because they're so outrageous. Of course, the Jewish communities were in enormous danger. And mm -hmm. in fact, the church enlists Johannes Pfefferkorn, uh, Johannes Ruchlin, um, to investigate it. Ruchlin was a genius. And Ruchlin begins a, a research and investigation of the entire Talmud. Remember I told you how hard it is to understand Talmud? This man was mm -hmm. able to study it. He goes through literally every significant piece of rabbinic literature that was extant. And he comes forward with the following report. He said, there are some little pamphlets running around the Jews that no one holds in high regards that are anti-Christian, but they're just these sort of pamphlets. But in terms of the Talmud, in terms of rabbinic writing, there is nothing in there that's about Christianity. He's not talking about the same Yesh, mm -hmm. it's a different person. The Talmud is just full of how to behave your life, how to live your life, how to keep it. Mm -hmm. In fact, Pfefficor is a liar. And in fact, not only that, he says, I'm calling upon the German, the, I'm calling upon the universities to establish two chairs for Hebrew studies in Germany. This, so what we have here is a Christian, a one who says, not only is Pfefferkorn not, doesn't it say anything, Pfefferkorn's a liar. Pfefferkorn is ultimately ex excommunicated from the church, and as it turned out in the early 16th century, this is an anomaly, but it's one of those strange moments in history where a hero emerges in the form of a Christian to save the Jews from a Jew. Wow, oh my goodness. Yeah, so that's that's, that's the anomaly. But, but but what's key is, and what, what's key is here is that the imprint of this this hypocrisy. Oh, you've seen the messianic literature. The Talmud says this. The Medrash says this. It all proves mm -hmm. Jesus. But why? thought you don't believe in it. So what are you pointing to it? There's one other point I should make. Why are they pointing to the Talmud? I mean, are they out of their minds? There's a point that should be made here. Don't you think if there was a passage in Ezekiel, chapter 49, which said that God is going to send his son who's going to die for your sins, and if you believe in him, you'll be saved, and if you don't, you'll go to hell. Do you think that missionaries would point to Zalmud? If there was a passage in Isaiah chapter 70 that said that God's only begotten son is going to come to this world, he's going to come in the form of a man, he will preach, he will be crucified and resurrect from dead, and for those who believe in you, you'll be saved, if you don't believe in you, you'll be damned. 
Do you think missionaries would point to the Talmud? The answer is, of course not. Now, I know what's going in the back of your head. You're going, there is no such mm-hmm. thing as Isaiah chapter 70. That's, of course, my point. These passages don't exist. You know and I know very well that if passages like that exist, they wouldn't be pointing to Talmud. So there is a little bit deeper point. Why are they, why are they now point, going to Talmud to look for anything that could be convoluted and be taken out of context to prove Christianity. The reason is, is they scoured the Jewish Bible and they have nothing, so their only fig leaf is found in rabbinic literature that's hard to understand, that few except for scholars know, that's written in a fashion that's elastic, missing missing very important ideas, and therefore they have to appeal to it. They don't want to do that, but they have to do it. But what it says is, there is no verse in the Bible that can support them, and therefore they have to go to rabbinic literature literature. If Isaiah 41, 42, 43, 44, mm-hmm. 45, 48, 49 all say the servant is Israel, what are you going to do? You have to go to the Talmud. Why do they go to Talmud? The answer is because if Isaiah said that the servant is my son who will die on the cross, they would never need to go to the Talmud. They have to go mm. to the Talmud because they're forced. They're being kicked in the pants into as, the as, as far as they're concerned, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel they have to no get choice. something. So you have no choice. Right. That means there's something deeper here. What am I... The point I'm trying to convey here to the listener is the following. I'm not saying, of course, it's, it's, it, it is odious to be so hypocritical and say rabbinic Judaism is false. It's disgusting. The Talmud is not of God. It's an, it's, it's, it is a, a, it acts as a, a barrier to coming to know Jesus. That's one level. But we have to ask, the, I want to go one step deeper. Why then are they going to the Talmud? The answer is, they have nothing else. If they did, mm. they wouldn't go to the Talmud. So the fact that they go to the Talmud tells us there is no such thing as Isaiah chapter 70, and there is no such thing as, as mm-hmm. Ezekiel chapter 49. That's the reason. There is no Ezekiel 49, and there is no Isaiah chapter 70. And if passages that simply said that God will come in the form of a man and will die for your sins, that God is part of a triune Godhead, they would never go to the Talmud. So that's So the fact that they have to go to the Talmud is very telling. Why don't they go to the Bible? The answer is... It isn't there. Isn't there. So these so these, three uh, Jewish converts to Christianity of medieval time are, are responsible for the acceleration of anti-Semitism within replacement theology. This is oh, what yeah. you're saying. Oh, yeah. oh, there are others. Now, There's an Anton Margarita who's a German apostate. There are, there's a number of them, but these are the two that set, these are the two major forces, right? Okay, so, so you've got to go and catch a plane. I have to let you go. But one last thing that just pops into my head, and maybe you can help me with this because I don't know. Uh, after uh, Nicholas Donnan, Nick, after Nicholas Donnan, there was uh, there was a, an incredible uh, um, anti-Semitic uh, slaughter in, in in Paris, right? Oh, first of all, what what followed really is unbearable. What followed was first of all, and this happens on Tishabov, twenty-four crate loads. It's estimated twenty-four uh, uh, twelve thousand handwritten Talmuds were burnt, and then there's an attacks on Jewish community. Jewish communities are going to be murdered. Nicholas Donner is going to be directly responsible for this. Um, and it's going to, this is the idea of, of burning the tide. Discuss this history extensively, but what's going to happen later is that Tom is going to be burnt in Italy and other parts uh, of Europe, of course. And he is responsible for this oh, yeah. tide. He is the one. Until Nicholas until, really until the 11th century, 12th century, 13th century, until Nicholas Don. There's one other guy, but basically until this 
the guy steps forward. The church simply has no clue what's going on. It's just an inaccessible work. It, it requires these individuals to come forth and say, let me explain to you what's inside the Jew. Because until then, Christians were operating. They didn't know what was in the Talmud. They mm -hmm. couldn't read the mm -hmm. Talmud. So the mm -hmm. only thing they thought was what they would knew before. And the Jews are do not, they're blinded. The scales over their eyes. These are the words mm -hmm. of of the early church fathers and they just did not understand their own scriptures this is the change fascinating and of course these once again for the, for the listener these uh, the topics that we're discussing right now are in vastly more detail in Tobia's latest books let's get biblical why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah volume 1 and 2 and this is in particular near to the end of volume 1 you need to get those also you can pick up a copy of the Disputation movie from his website uh, as well outreachjudaism.org outreachjudaism.org my friend I have to let you go unfortunately because you've got to go and catch a plane thank you so much for coming hey. uh, back on the trip to you always friend. thank you so much for having me shalom shalom, shalom.